Well, it is great to have each of you here on a beautiful uh, spring day. Uh, wonderful to have you here today. And if you are here as a guest, first time today, we're really delighted to have each of you here too. Well, you know, one of the things that we learned from Jesus is that when he encountered people, he never just saw them on the surface. He, he saw, didn't see just the visible part, but he looked below the surface. He saw the story behind every person's life that he met. And that caused people to feel understood and to feel valued by him. And we have been given the same mission to go out and reach out to people that Jesus lived out in his life. And so as we go, we want to follow his example. When we meet people, as we go, wherever we meet them, at work, wherever wherever we're with people, that we don't make our judgments about people based upon just, you know, the behavior that we see, But we see with depth, we see the story, the chapters, we might be meeting a person in chapter seven of their life, but there's six chapters before that, that we need to to learn about, to understand that person, and serve, and then share Christ with them in in a most effective way. So, one of the people that I know who is most qualified to come and share with us about how we see people with depth. Uh, is a friend that I've had now for many, many years. Uh, He is a counselor at Timberline Knowles, which is a great healing, life-restoring recovery center right here in our own village of Lamont. Uh, And I'm talking about Steve Wright. And so I have asked Steve if he would come and share with us today uh, a little bit about seeing that underneath-the-surface part of people's lives. So would you welcome Steve Wright as he comes this morning. Appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity uh, that Pastor Jim has given me to come and to share with you. I've known Jim for, as he said, many, many years, uh, probably more than either of us are going to share with you in any honest fashion. So a long time, long time. uh, give me a, uh, let me give you a little bit of a picture of who I am, my, my journey. Uh, I started out as a minister in, in my life. I was a pastor for many years uh, in the Assemblies of God as well and uh, worked in various churches and so forth. And one of the things that I began to become aware of uh, is that God's kind of given me a bit of a passion and a, a, a desire to do the one-on-one work with people and to, and to minister to people in the counseling setting. And so I went back to school a few years ago, and I got my master's degree in, in counseling, and I got licensed, and I've been uh, since then working with individuals with a lot of really complicated, difficult problems. Uh, most of the work I've been doing has been in, in residential Uh, therapy, residential treatment centers, and and I've worked with people with a variety of life kind of controlling life uh, altering issues, things like substance abuse and and depression and um, eating disorders and and all of those things. So today what I'd like to do is just kind of share with you a little bit about my perspective coming from being a pastor, being in church, knowing uh, the spiritual side of things, as well as 
uh, kind of those mental health issues and where those things kind of intersect so that we can have a, a better picture. And hopefully by the end of today, uh, you'll have a better picture of, uh, of what, it, uh, you know, what emotional and mental health means and, and that type of thing. So um, let's move to that first slide. I want to kind of talk a little bit about um, what we mean by mental illness. Now, you've heard that term, I'm sure, a lot, mental illness. Uh, and so uh, a couple of things that I want to kind of share with you. First of all, uh, this is a, a moment when my thinking and my emotions or, or my behaviors, they impact my daily life in a very negative way. Um, an example of this might be uh, a person uh, who has internalized some very negative messages about their body. And someone somewhere in their childhood bullied them or said something about them. And so they got this message that my shape matters to me. And it matters in the world. And I can't be accepted in the world unless I look a certain way. Now, our society gives us all kinds of messages like that, right? Uh, you, you just have to turn the television on and, and the archetypes of beauty are out there all over the place. And so that person internalizing that decides, I've got to do something about this because I'm not good enough the way I am. And they start to restrict eating. They stop, they stop eating. And then that doesn't work, perhaps, and so instead of restricting, then they'll restrict for a while, and then they'll start to eat a lot, and then, oh, I've got to get rid of it, and they uh, develop a, another type of a, uh, uh, an eating disorder. And so this picture happens, and it becomes almost an addiction to them. And, and that's just one example of many, many things. Some face depression, some face anxiety. And if I, can, if I can describe for you anxiety, what would anxiety be like? Imagine that I were up here and I just picked one of you to say, hey, stand up, I'd like you to take over here. How would you feel? Pretty anxious? Well, a person who struggles with anxiety feels that way all the time without a reason. And so there's something that they're struggling with. There's something that they, they can't kind of come to grips with and understand. And so we want to be able to kind of understand some of those things. And the problems people face develop in a number of ways. One of the first ones is that my brain is made that way. Um, I know we have a lot of messages uh, in the world, and sometimes even in the church world, we, we come at this from a perspective of, there must be something wrong with that person. And it must be a moral issue that they face. In my experience, that's not generally what I see. What I see sometimes is that a person's brain simply malfunctions. It is the fact that uh, they have a, a chemical imbalance in, in their thought processes, in their, in their brain chemistry. And so we'll take, uh, take a, a, a diagnosis of bipolar. Right? So many of you heard of the diagnosis of bipolar disorder. So let me talk a little bit about that. that. That's a person who you and I might have moods that have a ceiling and a floor on them. We only get so happy and we only get so sad. Well, a person who has bipolar, 
their brain doesn't have that mechanism that stops them at the top, and so they go so far above that that they uh, they become so elated, so happy, so excited that it, they almost become irritable. They can't sleep at night. They can't stop themselves from being happy in that sense. And then they stay up all night and, and days on end, two and three hours of sleep, and then they hit a wall and they crash and then they become depressed. Well, they don't have a floor in that depression. And so that depression becomes so deep that they become uh, despondent and hopeless and sometimes suicidal. And so we look at that and there's a brain issue. Their brain just simply functions that way. That's one aspect of this that we have to kind of come to grips with. The second one is that my circumstances produce some of the struggles that I face. And some of the things that we do face are circumstantial. circumstantial. Um, trauma is a big one. One of the things that I deal with at Timberline Knowles very often are uh, women who struggle with a past of, of, of trauma, a past uh, where you would be absolutely uh, just, just flabbergasted to hear. And maybe some of you in this room have experienced some of those traumas. And that trauma tends to impact us negatively. It impacts how we see ourselves. It impacts how we see the world. And so let me tell you a little bit about what that might do. A person who might uh, experience trauma from someone that, uh, that is supposed to love them and they're supposed to trust, perhaps, uh, hurts them or abuses them in some way. Uh, and that individual might say to themselves, why did this have to happen to me? Well, there must be something wrong with me. And so they internalize those negative messages about themselves and they see themselves in a bad way. They see themselves in a very negative way. And a person that begins to believe those things about themselves, feelings that I am worthless or that what I, uh, that, that this happened to me, God doesn't even love me. And those are some of the messages that people can internalize. And when that happens, then their behaviors begin to change because they begin to believe that the world is a very dangerous place, a very scary place. And so depression might set in or, uh, again, some anxiety, social anxieties that we see a lot. Uh, some of the trauma produces what, uh, and you've heard in the news quite a bit, I'm sure, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. And I see that a lot, where some of the traumas that a person happens that were so life-threatening that they begin to experience some really, really bad um, uh, uh, symptoms. They, they have flashbacks, and they kind of disconnect in their minds sometimes, or nightmares, and... Uh, and these intrusive thoughts about that, about that situation that just keeps coming back and back and back and back. And it's difficult. It's difficult for people struggling with some of those things. So we have circumstances and the internalized negative things that we tell ourselves. And maybe it's a message we got when we were young. Or maybe it's a message that we got when we were, uh, we were struggling uh, through some abuse or something else or uh, at school or in the media and we have these negative 
kind of internalized messages that we hold on to. And as a result, we feel a lot of pain, internal pain. And sometimes that internal pain, we don't know how to cope with. And so what I also see a lot is people trying to cope with internal pain, that hurt, that sorrow, that grief, whatever it is, that abuse, by trying to not feel. And a lot of times people figure out that, wow, if I, if I drink or if I use drugs, I won't have to feel. And it works. You don't have to feel when that happens. And eventually what happens in many, many cases is that that mechanism of trying to cope with life backfires and it becomes an addiction. And now it's no longer a choice that I am using this. I have to use this. I can't stop myself. And so it's in all of those situations that we see lots of different things happening in people's lives. Um, it's when we get to the place where we can't manage that hopefully people like Timberline Knowles and, and others can step in and to provide some sense, of, uh, sense out of what's going on and help guide a person past some of the struggles that they're facing so that they can see uh, that, that it's, it's okay and we can, we can move forward with this. And I think that it's an important aspect of, of, of working with people, from my point of view, that the church can play an amazing role in touching people's lives and in helping people pass some of the pain through our acceptance of them and through the love that we have and the love of God that is shown uh, through our lives as well. God can use us. God can use us in an amazing way to help people and to touch people's lives. And it sometimes means that we have to look past some of their behaviors and we have to look past some of the, uh, some of the life-controlling things that they have and, and offer the support and the help that they might need to get past some of that and to help them move forward. Now, I want to talk a little bit at this point about a couple of people in the Bible uh, so that you have an, a, an awareness that mental health issues have been something that have been going on for a long time. Just because we call it mental illness in the 20th century doesn't mean that it didn't happen before now. And the things that we call mental health, uh, mental illness, uh, you see very clearly uh, in, in, in scripture. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk first of all about a guy named Saul, a, a couple of kings who had some mental illness issues. The first one was Saul, and Saul, uh, Mr. Personality uh, Disorder, uh, was a little bit of a, a crazy, interesting character in the Bible. Um, he was deeply insecure. Now, I don't know if you know the story of Saul, but Saul was one of those incredibly insecure individuals. Now, now Samuel uh, anointed him king. Uh, God told him to anoint uh, Saul king, Samuel, uh, to anoint Saul king. Uh, and Saul was the first king of Israel. And he was the first one. Uh, and so as uh, as you might imagine, they were, uh, God wanted someone who really kind of could present strength to his people. 
Saul was this really good-looking guy, and he was about a head taller than anybody else around. Uh, but the issue with Saul is that he was so deeply insecure. If you could turn, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn, or we have it up on the screen, First uh, Samuel chapter 10 and verse 20 to 23. Let's look at that. So when Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found, so they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yeah, he's hidden himself among the baggage. And they ran and brought him out, and he stood among the people, and he was a head taller than any of the others. So this guy Saul was, uh, he knew, kind of knew that he was anointed king. Samuel had already anointed him king, and he was just so insecure. He kind of knew what was coming, and instead of kind of humbly standing before the people, he tried to hide from it. And we see this in his life as you read through this story in, in 1 Samuel that, that Saul was really, really insecure. He was insecure about himself. He was insecure about his life. Uh, and he, he struggled with a lot of deep, deep insecurity. So the other uh, next part, uh, the, the next scripture, if we could show that one. Um, this is uh, about Saul's... Uh, what would you say his his struggles and in uh, in 15 chapter 15 in verse 24 and verse 30 we read these words Saul said to Samuel I have sinned I violated the Lord's command and your instructions I was afraid of the people and so I gave in to them and then in verse 30 it says Saul replied I have sinned but Please honor me before the elders of my people and therefore and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Saul, um, Saul was not just insecure, he was a people pleaser. He needed the validation of people to feel like he was okay. He needed the people, he, he was afraid of doing something uh, against what others might want him to do uh, and, or, or maybe even what God wanted him to do so that he looked, if it, it might make him look bad. And it was his insecurity that drove that and so his behaviors came out such that um, he, he was weak-willed. He couldn't do what was required of him. And that insecurity led him to this understanding that I, I got to have other people validate me. I don't have the ability or the, the internal uh, awareness of myself. My insecurity is so deep that I, I have to have other people validate me. The next uh, passage kind of gives us a sense of, of Saul's um, incredible, what would we say, uh, 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 instability in his moods. So uh, that passage, let's look at that one. That's in 
uh, chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul. He was sitting in the house with his spear in his hand while David was playing the harp. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. And that's just one passage that shows that, but we see in a, a few passages in 1 Samuel that, that Saul was really erratic in his thoughts and his behaviors. He, he wasn't able to really kind of manage his emotions and his moods, and he became insecure, and his insecurity led to some of these really bizarre behaviors, and he uh, struggled with that all of his life. And so what we kind of look at, if I were to diagnose Saul, I would diagnose him with a personality disorder. In other words, he was struggling with his ability to kind of manage and, and to live in this world without the validation of other people. He needed something and couldn't man- manage his moods. He couldn't manage his, uh, his life. So that's one. There's another king that I want to talk about, and he suffered from some mental illness issues, and that's David. And for this one, I want us to look at Psalm 13. And in Psalm 13, we read some very interesting things about David as he's struggling through the circumstances. Now, um, we, we read uh, beginning in th- verse thir- chapter th- uh, Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So what we see in this passage is that David was struggling with this sense of abandonment, this loneliness, this deep, deep loneliness, almost depression. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? Anxiety. Every day he's wrestling with his thoughts. He has these issues in his heart. He's describing an emotional state that is very, very distressing. He's experiencing a lot of of frustration. How long will my enemy triumph over me? A little bit of paranoia there, perhaps. Look on me. And answer, O Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when they fall. I will sleep in death. He's he's talking about just this overwhelming sense of fear and anxiety and the struggle that he was facing. And there's many, many passages we could look at as David kind of talks about some of the emotional things that he struggled with and these difficulties. But it's very clear from this passage that he was struggling with some anxiety and he was struggling with a lot of depression and he didn't know what to do about it. So one thing I am aware of, though, and this is something uh, that uh, and uh, if anyone is here from Timberline Knowles, do we have anybody here from Timberline Knowles? Got a few, okay. So David used DBT. So, so you guys are aware, okay? Uh, dialectic behavior theory, or treatment, I, I guess, is what we call this. And what that is is that an understanding that there are two opposites that are true at the same time. And for David, what he was able to express was 
I feel distress, I feel anxiety, I feel depression, I feel hurt, I feel scared, I feel paranoia, I have all of these feelings and I don't know what to do with them. But then he goes on in verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. He was able to honor and express his feelings and his hurt and his pain and yet then to make a decision to trust and believe that God is able and God will see me through this and I will hold on to you, God, as you walk with me through this situation. It's cool stuff. Yeah. He had that trust. So... What can we do? What are some of the things that you and I can do as we kind of try to understand about what God wants us to do and how we can uh, help and maybe even be helped in situations? So if you could just throw that other slide up there, let's look at some of these things. Uh, and and let's, let's get a picture of what it is that, uh, that we can do. Uh, in in our lives. Well, I think one of the first things that we can do uh, is to begin to recognize, begin to recognize that um, mental illness is something that is a real thing and that we have an opportunity to touch people's lives, to minister to people. And we can uh, we can reach out to them in ways that are uh, uh, blessings and and helping. I remember uh, I remember a situation. It was probably the first time that I came face to face with mental illness, and this was a woman in my church that I was pastoring. Um, she worked with kids, the children's ministry. She was an amazing woman. I was not aware that she had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And one, uh, one weekend, she went away to a conference, and she had forgotten to take some of her medications with her. And it was two, three, four days that she had been without that medicine. And it impacted her very negatively. She wound up, uh, she wound up, uh, having a manic episode. And what that, as I said, means is that there was no ceiling on the struggle that she was facing. And, and the, just the kind of that ecstatic and, and, and it turned into a, what, a real, real mania where uh, she thought she was uh, able to do just about anything in the world. She uh, a lot of her inhibitions kind of fell away, and uh, I remember going into the hospital room with her and just seeing the distress in her eyes and her inability to stay in control of herself. And at that moment, I was filled with compassion for what she was struggling with because I, I was able to see firsthand that it's really, really hard for her to deal with that. And she was very ashamed after she figured out 
you know, they, they got her medications right again. And, and she came back, and she was very ashamed and very, very, um, very filled with guilt about what had happened. Uh, and, and it was hard for her to continue. But our church wrapped their arms around her, and we, we, we told her, I said, you know, you, you have been working with us for a long time. We know who you are. These behaviors we recognize are a result of some of the mental illness struggles that you face. And basically the message we gave to her is that you are still our daughter. You're still here. You're still our sister. You're still with us. And, and we can allow you to continue to be. And we want to kind of wrap ourselves around you. And how can we help you? If something like this happens again, what can we do? And it was at that moment that I realized that uh, we all have such a different journey that we're on, a different journey that we face. And it's very, very challenging for some of us. And I, I can tell you that for some people, some of the struggles that they face are lifelong. Some of the struggles that they face are not. Some of them are more circumstantial or uh, uh, time limited and it's the opportunity that we all have to reach into the lives of people that can make a difference in their lives as well because we're all part of this whole thing all of us at some point will probably struggle with what uh, what we call mental illness at some point in our lives whether it's depression or uh, anxiety or uh, any of those things, we, 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 we will have to face some of that. How do we manage that? How do we get through it? How do we deal with it? In my own journey, there was a period of time that I went through some very, very challenging things, and I got depressed, and I needed counseling, and I needed somebody to come alongside me and to walk with me through the pain that I was experiencing. I actually... Uh, uh, just self-disclosure, I had to take medication for a little while to help get me to that place where I could be okay. But the church still became the church to me. The body of Christ can be such a healing place. And if there's anything in this message that I want to share that's most important, and that is that the body of Christ can be the body of Christ to bless, to offer love and support, not judgment. To be there to come around those who might be struggling, to come around those who might be uh, experiencing challenges in the way they're thinking, in the way that they're behaving, and that we can be the church and bless those who need our support. Thank you so much. I wonder if we could bow our heads. I'd like to pray for us all, if that's all right. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that you've given us an opportunity to uh, come around the, uh, the, the Word of God and to, and to look at this really, really important issue. And I know, Father, perhaps there are those that are here today who may be struggling with mental illness issues and filled with some guilt and shame perhaps about that, asking that question, why me? 
I just ask you, Father, to intervene in each of those hearts and let them be aware and know that you are standing right beside them, walking with them and helping them. And I pray for this church, God, that that you would allow each and every one of us here today to be aware and to be caring and to be loving and to be Jesus in situations where you, Christ, have reached in and touched people's lives. May we be an extension of your hand of compassion and of love. May we be able to do what you've called us to do to bring healing and blessing and God we just ask you to be with us today and we thank you in Christ's name Amen